And God bless all of you in the room who are kind of paying attention to worship order and all that. I know you always panic when I have these ideas for things that we're going to do differently because sometimes they don't work out very well. But um, that's the fun thing about being the pastor is uh, I get to have this microphone and sometimes we make some changes. Now, one of the things that I learned last night when we were here at the Tom Coverley show is that it's always good to have an assistant. So is there anybody who would be willing to uh, join me for just a minute up here and be my assistant? It's not complex. I'm not going to embarrass you. But all right, Joey, that hand popped right up. Come on forward. I know last night Tom did not take volunteers, but I don't have any bricks up here. And so uh, I'm just going to invite you, Joey, to to come up here and join me for a second because I need your help. I don't have enough hands. Here, I need you to hold this bag for me, all right? Can you hold that? All right, um, reach in and and find one of whatever's in there. Just one, the instructions were very clear, find one. Oh, oh, okay, these are my (laughs) sunglasses. I'll tell you about these sunglasses, Joey. So Chad Stoltzfus was wearing a pair of these one day when he came to my house. And I thought they looked really cool. And I said, Chad, can I try on your sun? Because I like sunglasses. And he said, sure. And, and they have, so these glasses have, um, it's kind of an amber tint. And so whenever I'm in the car, especially, I just, I've gotten used to sunglasses. And these, I can wear them a little bit later in the afternoon or uh, in the evening when it's getting darker, if it's a little bit cloudy, because these just have that color that helps everything to pop and the definition comes out for me. Um, cool. Right, what, else, what else do you have in there, Joey? Uh-oh. Oh, Joey, what do we, okay. Whew. See, Tom had all his props set up better than that. Oh, oh, yeah, these, these are still in the bag. Do you know, I got tired of my sunglasses getting all scratched. And these are the ones, because I buy cheap sunglasses, they don't usually last very long. And these are the ones I keep in Melanie's car. And so they kind of stay down in the pocket and, and they came in this little pouch. So I still use that. Do you see any scratches on there? Nah, they look beautiful, don't they? These are darker, though. Here, check these out. Describe, what's the color like? Is it, is it? Very dark. Very dark, yeah. Very, these are like the middle of the afternoon when it's sunny. I'd probably wear these if I'm driving home today. Um, and I like these because they don't pinch my head very much. I have a fat head. And so um, sometimes things get tight around the ears, but these are good. And I still keep these in the, in the pouch because sometimes uh, the scratches get in the way. What else do you have, Joe? Do you have more? Oh, oh, these I found at, um, I, I found these again at a, at a reuse it shop. Um, Melanie and Brie were taken forever to shop and there was not that much guys clothing to look at. And so I went up to the front desk and they had this whole rack of sunglasses for $5 a pair. And I found these for $5 a pair. Somebody used them already. So I knew they were well broken in. And, um, and these I have, I, I like these when I need a lot of coverage on my eyes, right? Cause, and, and they just, uh, they look really bad on me, but they feel really good. And so sometimes these are the ones I keep in the Jeep to keep the wind out of my eyeballs. What, what else do you have, Joe? Oh, these. Yeah, these actually, these have Breeze initials on the side. These are not actually sunglasses, but I wear these when I'm weed eating because my, uh, my eyes are important to me and I don't like, does, yeah. You have to wear them too? Well, yeah, it's a good idea. These are safety glasses. What, what else? What? Oh, see, these are safety glasses too. These are my old, these are my old weed-eating safety glasses, but they got weeds all over them. And, uh, and I ran into these clear ones, so now I used to use these in my truck, but then I needed safety glasses, and it's hard for me to keep track of stuff. So I wear these sometimes, but look at them. They're, they're kind of messed up, aren't they? 
Are there any other ones in there? Oh, it's empty. Oh, and then I didn't put these in your bag because I didn't trust you to hold them. These are, um, these are my glasses glasses. These are actually the only ones that have a prescription because not too long ago, the eye doctor told me that I'm just getting old and I can't see things to read them well enough anymore without glasses. So sometimes I wear these, but I don't like wearing these when I'm driving because it messes everything up. Here, just try these out a second. See if there's, look at it, everybody. Do they work? Uh, no. No, they don't, work, they don't work for you. Sometimes they don't work for me either. Um, because I'm still not used to it, and when my face gets all sweaty, no matter how much anti-fog I put on them, they get, it's a big problem, Joey. Don't get older, <laughs> don't get older. So here, I just have one question for you before you go. All of those pairs, what do we have? One, two, three, four, five pairs of sunglasses. Um, why do you think I have so many? It feels like a lot. It's kind of a lot. You lose them, and then you get new ones, and then you find them. I, get, I lose ones, and I get new ones, and I find them. <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably true. What about these? Why, why do I have these? Because you can't see well. Because I can't see well, and I can't read anymore if I don't wear them. Joe, thanks a lot. You can, you can go sit down in the back. Um, how many of you have multiple sets of lenses? How, how many of you, let me ask another question. How many of you have to wear glasses or contacts or something like that just to be able to see? I am curious. A lot. Right, a lot of us in the room. And, and how many of you run into this situation where, and I notice this because I'm at the very beginning of my life of kind of having to wear glasses. How many of you run into this situation where maybe you do get in the car and now you need sunglasses but you don't have prescription ones yet and they don't fit over top and then you got to, do any of you do that? Yeah, I'm told that this happens to other people too. And, and how many of you find yourself in a place where, oh, I need my glasses to read this thing that popped up on my phone, but I didn't think I was going to have to read anything, and so now I can't find them. I almost got one of those librarian chains, you know, the ones that go down around and, and hold them right there, just, but I haven't been able to pull the trigger on that yet, and I've been encouraged by people who love me not to do that. But I have, over the years, I have, this, um, I have this little fascination with cheap sunglasses. Stuff at $5, $10 a pair, because it seems like they can never have enough, right? And, and if I can find a couple pairs, I'll buy two or three pairs of cheap ones that work. And I like to have a set for every occasion, because I'm used to taking them on and off and switching for different situations. Even my prescription glasses are that way. Sometimes I feel like I want them when I'm gonna preach, sometimes I don't. Sometimes my eyes are feeling good, sometimes they're not. And so I, and I suspect you, I am used to kind of taking the lenses on and off, depending on the situation, depending on the moment, depending on the needs, and frankly, depending how bright the light is outside. Do you know what I'm talking about? Are you tracking with me so far? Well, I ran into a guy a couple of years ago who was, who was really different about his glasses. And I noticed this guy right away. I was at a, um, I was at a men's boot camp with the uh, Wild Heart Ministry out in Colorado about 10 years ago. And this guy was there, big guy, big hair, big beard. And he had these big, thick, black, like Harry Carey style glasses. And these were not sunglasses and these were not just a fashion. I, I, Cause I asked him about this and they had, they had pink lenses in them. They weren't reflective or anything like that, but they were just pink. And I, I asked this guy, because I ask questions, I said, are those prescription glasses? He said, yeah, yeah, they really are. He said, I get a lot of comments about them. I said, I'll bet you do. <laughs> I said, what made you choose those pink 
lenses because it just it was an odd look for well for anybody but especially for a fellow <laughs> just and he said well for the first time not so long ago he said his eyes suddenly got very bad as he was going through his early 30s and he said for the first time he had to go and he needed to get glasses and he said i decided if i'm going to get glasses i'm getting glasses and the eye doctor asked me if i wanted any tint or any shade and he said yeah, I think I do. He said, I want to I see everything through rose-colored glasses. <laughs> and so he said, that's what I did, and now I have these glasses. And I said, do you ever get tired of that? Like, does, does it ever get bothersome to see everything through that tinted pink shade all the time? He said, no, I've gotten used to it. It's just, I love it. And he said, I get so many comments, I'll never go back. I'm going to keep this all the time. There was part of me that was fascinated by that and said, good for you, buddy. And there was part of me that said, wow, that would be maddening. Just like every style that I see, somewhat impressive, somewhat maddening. But I'm just wondering and I'm thinking, so many of us are so used to taking our lenses on and off depending on the situation, depending on how dark it is, depending on what we feel like, depending on if I've had these on for too long and they're pinching my ears. So many of us are, are used to adapting. And yet, there are certain things in our lives that should not be adapted, but that should be constant. There are certain things in our lives that should be always the case. And my observation of people is that we often get mixed up which are the things that should be adaptable and which are the things that should be constant. We, we don't always do a good job of recognizing which situations call for us to just put on those rose-colored glasses and let them go, see everything that way. And we have a hard time knowing if it's that or if it's just, well, change your glasses. Last week, Pastor Steve started talking about worldview stuff. And as we think about how we view the world, I think it is appropriate to think about whether we ought to be looking at the world all the time through the same lenses or, or whether we ought to be changing up and, and when we ought to change up our perspective. How many of you shift personalities like I change glasses? Are, are any of you ever kind of one style at home and a slightly different style at work? And then you relate to people differently at school, or maybe you relate to people differently at church or playing ball, or, or, or how many of you have a voice that you use with dogs and little kids that you don't use with other people? Hey, buddy, come here. Come on. Like, that sounds weird if I'm talking to Jim Witter. <laughs> but if I'm talking to a two-year-old or a Labrador, it makes sense. I get a pet. How do we know? How many of you are, you've got the same core, you, you've got the same essence, but you're a little different depending on where you are. Do you know what I'm talking about? And can you see the conflict here as we figure out which things are adaptable and which things are consistent? Because the bottom line is I change my glasses and lenses all the time, but my eyes are always the same. What are the things in your life and the things in your faith and the things in your expression that are always changing? And what are the things that should never change? This is what I want to think about with you. And this is what we're going to be talking about over the next little while. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, this is what Paul said. Just listen. Listen to this. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, 
to win as many as possible. Paul is often called the Apostle Paul. He was out as an, as an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was telling people about Jesus so that they would put their faith in Jesus and grow in Jesus Christ. And he says, though I'm free and I don't belong to anybody, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. I put, I put on my Jewish lenses. I use my Jewish voice. I speak perhaps in my Jewish accent. Do any of you have different accents depending on who you're talking with? Those of you who grew up in in families where mom and dad spoke a different language at home than out in the rest of the world. I'm always fascinated by that. For some of you, that's a, that's a, a duchy kind of thing, right? And you've learned to turn on or turn off your accent depending on who you're speaking with. We had friends a few years ago, a good college buddy of mine, who after college he moved to England, and he met a girl from England, and they had children And after they had children for a while, they lived in England, but then his job moved them and they were in the States for a while. Well, a few years ago, they came to visit us and they had their little children who were still elementary school age. And these children who had grown up in a home with an American father who grew up in Millersville and a British mom who grew up in England, speaking English the whole time, mind you. They came to our house and they were playing with Bree. And this was a couple years ago. And these kids were kind of, those two were speaking to each other, the brother and the sister talking to each other. And after a couple minutes, Bree, they were downstairs. Bree came up and said, I can't understand them, mom. <laughs> and, and, and the mother, the, the wife of my friend, said, said to the kids and said, kids, talk with your American voices. And they did, just like that. It was wild. It was wild. These little kids, they, they understood because of the way that they grew up and they understood oh, they've got their American voices and they've got their home voices. And it's the same language. It's the same words. But one of them was almost impossible to understand because this is just how it is with different accents, right? And then, but they could shift. And, and some of you are like that. This is what Paul is talking about. He's not changing the message, but he says to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. I had to speak their language so that they could hear me. I had, to, I had to engage with their culture so that they would accept me. He said, I don't belong to anybody. I just belong to the Lord. But I want to win them, so I'm going to speak their language. I'm going to adjust. I'm going to change my lens for a moment. But he goes on. He says, to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. That's 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20. And then going on in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 21, he elaborates further. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. In other words, he says to the Jews, I became like the Jewish people who were all concerned with the Old Testament law and the rules and the rituals and the practices and the proprieties and all the things that come along with that. He says, I can play along if that's what it takes to win them to Jesus. He says, but to the Gentiles, that is to people who are not Jews, I left some of that law talk behind. I left some of those religious, righteous, rigid kind of styles behind me because that's not their language. I spoke to them. And he says, I'm not free from God's law. I'm still following after God. But all the styles, all the human stuff, he says, I took off my Jewish glasses and I put on my Gentile glasses. Why? So as to win those who don't have the law. He says in verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 9, to the weak I became weak, to win the weak. 
The weak, it's a, it's a matter of law following and, and conscience. And he says, I am becoming like these people so that I can win them for Christ. He says, I have become, this is 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And this passage in 1 Corinthians 9 points out the fact that Paul is always working from the same eyes, but he's working with different lenses upon them depending on the situation. We always follow the same Lord, and our faith is always in Jesus Christ because he is the only Savior. But the way that we talk to people has to adapt to who the people are so that they can get the core of it. And yet, do any of us ever struggle to know whether we should change our lenses? And do any of us ever wonder if changing the lenses has bled over into an accidental and unintended changing of the core? Paul says, I do all of this for the sake of the gospel. And I do all of this so that I may share in its blessings. And I just wonder, church, are we doing a good job of making sure that the core things stay the core things? And are we doing a good job of adapting to the people around us so that they might be one for Jesus Christ? We adapt styles according to the situation, just like Paul, but the core stays the same. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. This all ties into this worldview discussion. Lots of different definitions and particularities of worldview, but the one that I'm working from, that we're working from, is this idea that the worldview, it's our set of beliefs about fundamental aspects of reality that ground and influence everything that we perceive, everything we think and we know and we do. The worldview is a set of beliefs about fundamental aspects of reality that ground and influence all of our perceiving and thinking and knowing and doing. So, so our worldview is, is not just the lenses that we look through, although the lenses make a difference. The worldview is really the core of our understanding. It's how we perceive the world to be, how we perceive God to be. What are the things that are absolutely core? Paul would say that the gospel is absolutely core. That's what, that's what is undergirding all of it. And then the way that he talks about it changes. Well, what about you? Is the gospel absolutely core to your life? Is that shaping everything you see? And then the glasses just change your tone. I want to look now with you at Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. And we're not going to cover all of them, but I want to bring out some highlights. So if you have a Bible, or if you have one in the pew in front of you, or if you have a device that has a Bible on it, look along with me in the book of Acts. This is in the New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story of Jesus' life here on earth. Acts is written to be kind of part two to the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote them both. Gospel of Luke is the story of Jesus' life on earth, and then the book of Acts is what happened immediately after Jesus was taken from this earth, and then the church began to flourish. And so in Acts chapter one, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna survey really quickly, but I want you to think about what it is that we're seeing expressed as the core of all reality. And then what is it that are interchangeable? What are the styles? What are the languages? What are the issues that might come and go like our sunglasses? In Acts chapter 1, Luke says, In my former book, Theophilus, so 
He's writing to Theophilus. Theophilus is probably his sponsor, the person who paid for Luke to do this work, to write down this history, to make sure that everything could be recorded. He says, in my former book, the book of Luke, I wrote all about Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After his suffering, that is on the cross, he presented himself to those who walked on earth and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke all about the kingdom of God. So Luke is kind of wrapping up saying that after Jesus died on the cross and was in the ground for three days and after he rose from the grave, we talk about that as the first Easter Sunday. It says after that, for 40 days, Jesus wandered around, spoke to his disciples and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 4. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Remember, these people have seen Jesus die. They've seen that he rose from the grave. They are now in his presence eating with him. They've seen the scars on his hands. They know that he was dead. They know that he's alive. They know that he's the Lord. And so they say, are you now going to fulfill all the good stuff that we've been waiting for? And he said to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, He said to them a truth that is still true for us. He said, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And now here in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is one of these foundational events that should form everything that they did and everything now that we as believers do. He says, but you, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is the prediction that Jesus gave them. That's the truth that became real. That is what Paul is talking about a few decades later when he writes it to the Corinthians and says, I become all things so that for the Jews and for the Judeans and for the Samarians and for everybody, I speak to them and I relate to them so that they can come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus said it would happen, it happened in the life of Paul and it happened in the life of the rest of his followers. Soon after Jesus met with them at that meal and after he talked to them, he was ascended up into heaven. He was on this earth for 40 days, but then he went up into heaven where Jesus is now. And the people, having heard what Jesus said at this meal, knowing that the Holy Spirit was coming, they stayed in Jerusalem. They gathered in in a number of small places. They were wondering about the world around them, but certain of what Jesus had promised, so they waited It says that in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. These people gathered constantly in prayer, waiting and waiting and waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. It says in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, which was a group numbering about 120 That's interesting to me because do you remember when Jesus was doing his miracles and he was out on the hillside and he was multiplying fishes and loaves? There are two different accounts of that that give us numbers of how many people were there. How many people did Jesus feed the one time? There were 5,000. There's another time that it says there were 4,000. Right? Accounts of Jesus doing his work. Thousands of people fed by a few loaves and a few fishes. Thousands of people blown away by what he was doing. Thousands upon thousands of people witnessing what he was doing. And do you remember the accounts from the Gospels? Those of you who are Sunday school accredited, do you remember 
how many people were following him, the crowds around him, the people reaching out to him saying, heal me, help me. Do you remember how they were blown away by the things that he did? And yet now, now, after he died on the cross and rose from the grave, and after all of that, frankly, drama, I mean, big events, big things happening, Now the believers are gathered together, the people who are the true believers, the ones who have made Jesus a part of their core. They've gathered together, and there are how many? According to the book of Acts, this isn't years later as people wandered away. This is weeks, weeks after he died on the cross and rose from the grave. How many people were there? 120. We've got more people than that in this room right now. People are fickle, aren't we? There are only so many ideas and so many truths that we allow to be part of our core. Like part of our core in such a way that it affects what we do and what we say, how we spend our time and what we will put our energy into. Thousands of people were fed by Jesus. Thousands of people were blown away by Jesus. 120 had their lives changed by Jesus in such a way that it made a difference. Church, don't get discouraged if the numbers are small. Your job is not to count, but to be faithful. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. A group numbering about 120 said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled. And he goes on and on. I encourage you to read Acts chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 today in their fullness. But Peter stood up among the believers and said, Look, we had a brother, Judas. He betrayed Jesus. Things happened, he died. We need someone to come into his place. And so the rest of Acts chapter one is how they chose Matthias to take Judas's place so that there would be 12 apostles again. In Acts chapter two, we see the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy. He told them that the Holy Spirit would come, that there would be powerful things. And it says in verse verse one of Acts chapter two, that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, these 120. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, that is, on each of those 120. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now in verse 5 of Acts chapter 2, it says, There were staying in Jerusalem, because this was holiday time, Pentecost. There were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound of the fire coming from heaven, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So here are these disciples, and at their core, they have this experience of Jesus. At their core, they have now the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and yet what is coming out? Different languages from all of them so that every nationality, every kind of person who was there could hear the truth about Jesus. Same truth, different lenses. Amazed and perplexed, it says in verse 12, they ask each other, what does this mean? Some, though, made fun of them and said they've had too much to drink. Peter stood up, the 11 stood up, and you're going to have to read about his sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. He wrapped it up by saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He called out his fellow Israelites in verse 22 and down through. He gave even more proof and more prophecy and more preaching about who Jesus was. And he wrapped it up in Acts chapter 2, verse 32. He said, God raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, that with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves 
from this corrupt generation. And it says in Acts 2, 41, that those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They went from a church of 120 to a church of 3,000. You think church management stuff is tough here as we grow slowly. Imagine leaders. Imagine what it would be like for so many people's core to be changed. For so many people to hear and accept this message of salvation from Jesus Christ, to be baptized, and now to see their number grow. It says in Acts 2.42, as a result, it says all these people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. It says everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. It says in Acts 2.44 that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. There's how you know that a change was made, right? Because all their stuff could be shared. Oh, Acts 3 and Acts chapter 4, we see story after story of God working through these people whose core had been changed. They were using different lenses to engage to the different people around them, and God was empowering them to do that. But the core message of salvation from Jesus Christ continued to be proclaimed. What we're going to be talking about over the next number of weeks is making sure that your core is all about Jesus Christ, him crucified, raised again, and now pouring out his Holy Spirit on his believers. That's our core. And your world must be affected. Your world must be seen through the lens of Jesus Christ crucified and his truth upon you. We take our styles on and off. We may adapt our language and our speaking and our, and our particularities of personality to the situation, but the core must always be the same. We're going to be talking about how to build that core, how to build that worldview, and how to make sure that we are living consistently because, frankly, there are some of us who are changing lenses when it's not time to change lenses. And then when we go and try to read, all we see is darkness. Don't do that. Let's be better. We're going to talk about how to be better. But, church, we're not going to do it by ourselves. We're going to do it trusting, trusting that Jesus Christ is indeed pouring out his Holy Spirit upon us to guide us and teach us and direct us just the way he did with those apostles 2,000 years ago. We're going to pray together and then we're going to sing our closing hymn. And after that hymn, then we're going to have communion and foot washing for those who are ready for that. Can we pray together? God, thank you for preserving your word. I thank you that we have scripture today that we can read. As we read these stories, especially here today in the book of Acts, just seeing how you worked among your people, seeing how these folks who observed your truth in your life, how they shared it, how they talked about it. Lord, help us to be faithful because we know that we have this truth as well. It is in jars of clay, but yet, Lord, we desire to proclaim it well. So help us as a church, as families, and as individuals. Help us, Lord, to have our core on display and to see everything through a worldview that understands that you are ultimate, that you are the creator, that Jesus is the savior, and the Holy Spirit is the power. Help us, Lord, to see this and live this all the time, even as we change our style. Lord, give us wisdom as we read and study and think 
and consider over these next couple of weeks. But Lord, give us courage to make any changes that we need to make so that we would not be a slave to our styles, that we would not be a slave to our traditions, that we would follow you with all we have. Show us, Lord, your way. (laughs) We love you as we pray. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen.